So the last thing that I made with my butcher box shipment was aloo chicken, and it turned out really well. One of my favorite things is to get the shipment and then open up the New York Times cooking app and see what I want to create over the next few weeks. It helps my creative cooking chops, and both my wife and I really enjoy it. ButcherBox offers a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price, plus they have exclusive member deals, and they also have their own recipes, although I am preferential to the New York Times app, but that's just me. And you can sign up today at ButcherBox.com conspirituality and get their special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. So for that year, you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com conspirituality and use code conspirituality to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. If you're a fan of workplace comedies like The Office or satire like The Onion, then I have a podcast that I know you'll love. It's called Mega. Mega is an improvised satire from the staff of a fictional mega church. That's the premise. Each week, the hosts, Holly Laurent and Greg Hess, are joined by guests, since people like Cecily Strong or Jen Hatmaker, to portray characters inside the colorful world of Twin Hills Community Church, which they describe as a mega church with a tiny family feel. The result is a sharp-witted and hilarious look into the world of commercialized religion using humor to cope with the frightening amount of power that church and religion have. So I very much recommend you checking out Mega's episodes, like the one with Saturday Night Live's Cecily Strong, playing Cece String, a hilarious character who's fresh out of jail, uh, and also comedian Jason Mansukas. You may find yourself dying of laughter and perhaps inspired to take an improv class yourself. Mega is able to keep you laughing as you think and reflect about the world we live in. You can find Mega on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Well, what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos. I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Golds. And we're the hosts of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field. And we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earthrise Podcast. This is Derek Ferris. We are at number 88 and it's a return. We have Matthew Remsky and Julian Walker again. Last week's conversation was excellent and a lot of people said they would like to hear more and we agree because we love talking to one another. 
A couple quick housekeeping things before we start. Uh, Jay Brown, who was on this podcast last year, I believe, asked me to be on his podcast. So I'll be recording that tomorrow. I really like talking to Jay. So that will be out probably sometime next week. And my latest project is, uh, is the Substack newsletter that you can find at derekbarris.substack.com. It goes out every Monday morning, so you can check that out. Uh, Matthew Remsky is at matthewremsky.com. Julian is at julianwalkeryoga.com. So you can sign up for their mailing lists and find everything else there as well. Uh, when we were talking about what to discuss this week, uh, we have two ideas. Julian wrote an excellent essay on Medium about red pills, which we'll get to. But I want to open with uh, Kelly Brogan and Sayerji who I am not that familiar with, but Matthew is. He's written about uh, cultish behavior there, and I'm going to let him lead it. But I want to start with this, because having seen her and knowing Green Med Info and just kind of there on my periphery, but nothing I've ever focused on, I went to last week, I went to her Facebook page, and the very first thing I did was open up the video, like her feature video, is her talking about the problems with uh, antidepressants and psychiatric drugs for treating mm -hmm. depression and anxiety. And it was a good video. Like I agreed with everything she said, for mm -hmm. example, and because my book on psychedelics actually takes a very similar tack that we have to question SSRIs and SS SNRIs. And that, that's very much part of my argument. So as someone who, you know, just kind of would fall into a world, I see this and I'm like, yeah, that is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And I think it should be discussed. But then the very next thing I see is her saying, don't wear your masks in public. Sheltering at home is BS. And, mm -hmm. and then I go to her site and find out that viruses, this is one of the sites she's involved with, viruses might not actually cause disease. Disease is being caused by 5G. <laughs> There's a whole rabbit hole that I right. fell into from that initial video where I was like, oh, okay, I get this. Uh, so I would love Matthew to, you to take it over and kind of explain what you think they're coming from and what they're trying to get out of this, this whole questioning COVID right now. Right. Well, questioning COVID seems to be a side project that's coming out of um, the GreenMed Info platform. Uh, so Kelly Progan is partners, life partners with Sayer G, who's the founder there. Uh, the front page of the Questioning COVID site says right up front, germ theory, I've got it here, germ theory is a scientifically bankrupt paradigm based in warfare models of pathogenic invasion. This theory has been leveraged as an instrument for geopolitical and social control, largely in the form of a vaccination agenda to subdue the populace through coerced and forced bodily penetration and associated disability, mortality, and surveillance. So they kind of wrap it all up right on the front page. Uh, so it's nice that it's transparent, that, that they're, they're honest about where they stand. But your introductory experience, uh, you know, in this, in this sort of jump between what she has to say about uh, psychiatric medication and the practice of psychiatry and what she has to say about infectious diseases, kind of sums up the conundrum of somebody really willing to move outside of their lane really quickly. There's, she doesn't have any formal training in epidemiology or infectious, infectious diseases. Uh, and I don't think Sarah G does either. Uh, but um, 
but yeah, there's something, there's, there's, there's a number of sort of like gateways into that world. One of them is through her critique from the perspective of a trained psychiatrist of uh, psychiatry. And the other direction is through, uh, the other gateway is through the yoga world. And that's where I first, she first came across my, my radar. Um, so, you know, it's like, it's not like I know that much about their world, but uh, because I study and research cults and abuse crises and, and, you know, I keep on top of that particular, that particular world, I was very interested to see posted in my feed uh, a review that she did of a book by a woman named Pamela Dyson, who was one of Yogi Bhajan's uh, personal secretaries, um, really indentured servants uh, and, and a victim of clerical sexual abuse for uh, about 16 years, I believe. And she finally published her memoir. And uh, so I, I read through this blog and I got to this point, I've got it here again, uh, where, where she kind of shows her, Brogan shows her card. She says, 10 years ago, I would have jumped all over the scandalous expose that is rocking the Kundalini yoga community. Okay, so the minimizing language is clear up front. Uh, I would have read Premka, White Bird in a Golden Cage, My Life with Yogi Bhajan, and learned the story of a 25-year-old seeker who, in the 1970s, was held hostage by a malignant guru who held indentured slaves for several decades of his tenure as a self-proclaimed spiritual master, a sexual predator, liar, and manipulator who played who played with his devotees' lives like pieces on a chessboard. You know, okay, so that's my moment of of your moment mm-hmm. where she's criticizing psychiatry, where she's like, she actually sums it up pretty mm-hmm. well. And then she flips that into uh, an entire piece of self-promotion with regard to her own affiliation to Kundalini Yoga. Uh, mm-hmm. But she does it through a kind of victim-blaming ballet move that comes next. Mm-hmm. She says... I would have felt confirmed in my already held belief that men are fundamentally incapable of handling power without corrupting it and abusing those in their midst. I would have rolled in dis- roiled in disgust and indignation had I already been certified as a Kundalini Yoga teacher, as I am today, link. I might have even thrown out all my books, abandoned my early morning meditation practice, and erased the video files in my online program. Another link. By the way, she's reviewing this book, and she doesn't link to it, but there's 17 links posted to her own materials on her website. Uh, And then she finishes by saying, and I would have wrapped another cozy layer around my many layers of felt victimhood dependency so victimhood is felt it's not like a legal term it's not it's not that somebody did something to you it's something that you're, you've created dependency and ultimate powerlessness that themselves reflected the pain of my own self-judgment recrimination and rejection so what she does is she basically aggressively misreads dyson's book uh, she even puts the title of her own book into the title of her blog piece which is amazing. It's like, she's really good actually at, 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 at like flipping uh, this, this amazing material uh, to her own devices. Um, but, but what she, what she does is she basically erases the possibility that Dyson is talking about institutional abuse. She erases the possibility that uh, Yogi Bhajan was enabled by people who facilitated, who benefited from like an abusive cultic structure for decades. Um, that, that's like Yogi Bhajan in this 
sort of review, this non-review of the book becomes kind of like this trickster figure uh, mm -hmm. that Pamela Dyson through her own internal willpower and her capacity to like overcome and, and connect with true spirit inside uh, that she's able to sort of, you know, she's able to, to grasp the benefit of the teaching anyway. Um, mm. And so what's really interesting is that, is that as a COVID-19 truther, um, there's, there's this content, there's this contradiction with that mindset of victim blaming and, mm. and denialism, but there's also, there's also a continuity. And the contradiction is that, you know, the entire, COVID-19 truther perspective is built on notions of organized institutional abuse. Um, that's like a firm part of the storyline that they have going. Uh, but then the continuity is, but, and, but that wouldn't apply to Kundalini Yoga, of course. Uh, but then the continuity that runs through is that somehow the power of the individual is going to see the truth, is going to intuit uh, the nature of reality is going to do their own research is going to overcome is going to find uh, kind of wholeness within themselves and therefore overcome everything uh, and so that really that really struck me and then I mean maybe maybe you 've seen some other things that you you i 've probably spoken for long enough but there's some other notable things that I think she's doing that are actually comparable to some of the things that uh, Mickey Willis was doing that we discussed last week about pandemic. Well, I do wonder in terms of both, I read the review that you had reposted that of that book, which wasn't actually a review. It was a marketing platform for her book. Right. And then the one that someone had shared on your feed this morning, uh, that her most recent post, why we stay asleep when COVID-19 is trying to wake us up, which she wrote with Sayer G, her partner. And I'm reading, it's just, I mean, it's like 20 bullet points and it's 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 every conspiracy theory currently out there with links to Green Med Info and and uh, right. journals of alternative medicine and all of this. And I'm really trying to wonder what the point is. Mm -hmm. Like what what actually are you arguing? Because one thing I did pick up as I was going through and watching some of her videos is she refers to herself as a renegade doctor. And there's this sense of like us renegade doctors who have spoken up against the system. And this is, this seems persistent right now with wellness, yoga, everyone in this. It's just like, I'm rebelling, but I don't understand truly what they're rebelling against. Mm. Like except well, some structure, you know? Yeah. Like, go ahead. Joel. They're rebelling against the quote unquote mainstream narrative, right? They're rebelling against uh, authority figures telling them and us what to do in some kind of way. I, I, found, I found that particular article fascinating. I'd never seen anything by either of these two people. And I, I thought of you a lot while I was reading it, Matthew, because she is, she is constantly, she actually, I, I feel like she spends the first half of that article establishing herself as a psychological authority. So she spends right. that half talking about attachment disorders, talking about trauma psychology, talking about family dynamics, talking about deep-seated needs that we have that make us vulnerable to a cult-like control. But right. for her, 
the cult-like control is coming from the government. It's coming from the mainstream media. It's coming from the, it's the medical establishment, right? And then she is the one in the second half who is going to support you in growing up psychologically and one would assume spiritually, but she's very focused on this kind of psychological medicalized language about how she's here to support you in waking up out of that parental, uh, out of being enthralled to some kind of parental authority and really thinking for yourself, but even more than that, feeling for yourself. So she does, again, that bait and switch kind of ballet move that you talked about, Matthew, where she goes from, I see you in your trauma. I believe you in your emotional truth where the corrupt system and the, you know, your family and the society and all and the medical establishment, whatever have failed you. And I'm here to tell you that you can go deeper into that place and trust your true feeling about right. what's going on right now. So there's this intuitive revelation that she's suggesting is possible where you become a sovereign being who completely trusts their perception and right. their emotions. And it's your emotional and intuitive perception that's been robbed from you in your trauma and your dysfunctional family and society experience. And so all of this becomes woven together again into this heroic narrative where you're going to take the red pill. And in this case, the red pill is waking up to trusting your resonance about how none of this official story about COVID-19 adds up. Right. Uh, but, but the, the, the dual presentation of the victim position is really bizarre because yes. uh, on one hand, victimhood in this discourse is, uh, is weaponized against the person who has a poor self attitude, but yeah. then it's made very real uh, by the person who is subjected to vast impersonal forces that are mm -hmm. hellbent are hellbent on on mm -hmm. on controlling and, and and removing agency and sovereignty so i'm i'm very confused about that about that yeah. actually that that paradox it's almost as if it's 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 illegal to consider yourself to be a victim psychologically, uh, but it's mandatory that you understand that you have been oppressed by a very vague impersonal force called, uh, called the government or the WHO or, or, or technology. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that pans out. I mean, for me, that's kind of the tip off that we're in spiritual bypass territory, where essentially right. we're gonna talk about painful emotions and traumatic experiences through this lens that these things may have happened and you may rise up and fight back against them to regain your sovereign kind of spiritual warriorhood, right. but you should never act like a victim. And it's, it's, it's believing that you're a victim that is the real sin and that is the right. real thing that keeps you stuck. So, so you're right. It's like you're, you're, you, are, you are at the effect of this horrible, nefarious plot against you, but you, the way to fight against it is not to be a victim. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Do you want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on. Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation, so you're most likely not just listening to Conspirituality. And that's totally okay. I'd love to share a podcast to add to your list. 
The Jordan Harbinger Show is a top shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. So don't just ignore my suggestion to listen to this one like you probably do with your other friends who tell you to listen to podcasts. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes to scientists, political activists, mobsters, even hostage negotiators. And Harbinger has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-before-heard stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you more informed, a critical thinker, and to better operate in today's world. I was on his show. In preparation, I listened to a bunch of episodes. He's just really good at what he does. Like episode 880 features Ian Bremmer, you know, the top-notch political scientist. And the topic is dealing with the world in disarray. But then you have episodes like his skeptical Sunday format. Episode 882 looked at homeopathy. But he has other episodes on Ayurveda and also the popular pseudoscience of analyzing body language. There isn't a better podcast to listen to casually or seriously to expand your worldview. He's also got a strangely relatable weekly segment called Feedback Friday, where Jordan covers advice on everything from escaping a cult or a psycho family situation to relationships and networking and even to asking for a raise. So point blank, Jordan Harbinger is smart, funny, he's easy to listen to. You'll be pressed to find an episode without excellent conversation, a few laughs, and even actionable advice that you can directly use to improve your life. You can't go wrong with adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Spending way too much time on social media? Derek here from Conspirituality, and you might be able to break the cycle of doom scrolling on Elon Musk's haunted Twitter by tuning into the Crooked Media podcast Offline with John Favreau. I have been a Crooked Media fan since the company was founded, and I'm really excited to be talking about Offline because it's a different kind of Sunday show. It's a chance to step outside our social media fueled news cycles and hear smarter, lighter conversations about how chronically online existence shapes the way that we live, work, and interact with the world around us. Each week, John Favreau is joined by notable guests like Stephen Colbert, Hassan Piker, ContraPoints, Margaret Atwood, what? All for intimate conversations about how to live happier, healthier lives, both on and offline. New episodes of Offline with John Favreau drop every Sunday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of... Classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh, stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Zs, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. 
Sweet dreams. Now, um, that flip between the two meanings of, of victimhood and the, and the, it seems to mirror, I don't know if this is a stretch, but it seems to mirror this rhythmic flip that I think I started to bring up a little bit in discussing pandemic last week between um, I'm going to scare the shit out of you and then I'm going to be loving and caring and, 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 uh, and, and maternal towards you because the other thing that strikes me about looking through most of the materials and even within sort of the microcosm of each article is there's uh, there are content blocks that say uh, you are being you are being harmed in this way and then content blocks almost interchangeably uh, that are saying but but also I have some sort of answer for you or I'm going to take care for take care of you somatically in in interviews or in in the selfie videos or the sermons that are so popular you know hi everybody i'd like to tell you something about you know how what's coming up for me with regard to my self-sovereignty like whatever whatever that there's a standard format for for sermonizers like this uh to to go forward and soothe their 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 viewership their readership um and and it always takes the form of I am, I am the caregiver. I see you. Uh, I'm going to gaze at you lovingly. Uh, and I'm going to bring you back into contact with me after we've established this bond through the supposition that things are terrifying. Mm. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask this question, something, and it relates because of their, Green Net Info being an obvious uh, anti-vax site. Right before we jumped on this call, the last article I was reading from New York Times just published it, talking about how Trump's new vaccine chief works for the pharmaceutical industry, because right. of course he does, because that's everything right. in this administration. And I'm wondering when, when you see these initiatives that people and the upswell of the anti-vaxxers right now, why people cannot understand that both the fact that we have a corrupt government that is installing lackeys for industry is true, right. but vaccines work is also true. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. why, why people can't understand that those, both of those things are true? Well, I think it really points to one of the things that kind of really blew my mind about your essay, uh, Julian, which is that when this sort of intersecting Venn diagram of new agers and alt-right people start talking about taking the wet red pill and waking up to reality, mm -hmm. um, they're, they're, not, they're not actually, there seems to be this notion that they're waking up to something whole or something wholesome or yeah. that they're going to they're going to open their eyes and and be in you know homeopathic new zealand or something like that and 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 everything's going to be okay and the real story of the matrix is that neo wakes up into the devastation of technologized capitalism they yeah. so waking uh, you it so i don't understand when mm -hmm. when elon musk says take the red pill and then uses the, <laughs> uses, uses the rose emoji 
as though as though as though that's as though that as though something as though it's a gift or something like that and ivanka trump is like yeah that's wonderful um i don't really know like have they it's missed mdma it? the red pill is mdma right right i suppose i mean i suppose that it's it seem it seems that what they're doing is imagining that this transformational experience wakes them up to something other than the fact that yes we live in utter corruption uh it i i don't know where the the second part of the empowerment story is like yeah what does what does neo what does neo learn how to do he he basically just learns how to manage you know mm-hmm. he he's he's condemned he's condemned to a you know like like in plato's cave uh, he's condemned to a life awake uh, amidst an illusory reality, and he just has to manage. Like I, I think I watched through the entire series. Yeah. Is there is there much more of a plot development? It's not well, like th- it's not like he that, rebirths the world, does he? I think that what is really the the thing that grabbed our subculture so so completely about the Matrix when it came out is that after he takes the red pill. He then goes through this period of a kind of spiritual initiation that draws heavily on right. mythology that we have about martial arts, where right. through the discipline of martial arts, you come into some kind of harmony with the Tao. You come into some kind of awareness of your energy that makes you almost superhuman. You learn how to just relax and flow like water and feel what's coming at you and deflect it, right? You develop this kind of superhuman, superhero, spiritual right quality and so what what usually gets left out and forgotten is that he only has that when he's in the simulation when he's inside the matrix he learns how to bend the rules of the matrix but the real world is horrible when he's not in when he's not jacked into the matrix the reality he's been woken up into is really really scary and 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 dark so i think that i think somehow those things get get glossed over and there's just this idea that fits with the you create your own reality and you can, you can control reality with your mind if you believe, right? And that that is what the red pill represents that you're waking up into it. Now, I think in our, in our current context with how, how many different people from how many different perspectives are using the notion of the red pill, when Elon Musk says take the red pill, he just means uh, staying economically shut down for this long is unnecessary you know, wake up and realize that we need to reopen and we need to be, you know, commerce needs to start up again. Otherwise, I'm going to move my back to it. And that's really what he needs, right? When Ivanka Trump says already taken, she's nodding and winking towards the alt-right and the conspiracy theorists and all the people who who think that her dad is, you know, this heroic figure who's who's somehow, uh, you know, whatever the, the current QAnon version of his busting of pedophile rings and stopping the spread of adrenochrome and whatever else. Right. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's classic postmodern material, right? Because the, the signifier of the red pill starts to be, 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 has the content of whatever is projected upon it in terms of the person's perspective. I mean, that's one way of that's, that's yes. I, I, I appreciate the floating signifier aspect of the red pill. And I also realize as we're talking about it, that we're really asking these folks to 
have a kind of consistency or to have understood the matrix or to, you know, <laughs> uh, or, or to um, want to hew to the story in some way or to be, or to be coherent. And, 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 and really it's, it's become a meme that can be fragmented yep. uh, and, and used in any particular way. And that gives me, that sort of brings me back to, uh, you know, when, when any of these people use something like this, what are they actually triggering? Are they, are they, are they referencing a story or are they referencing an immediate sort of jolting affect that people can feel about something related to something that they saw 15 years ago uh, yeah. and was about, yeah, self-sovereignty or, or creating one's own mm -hmm. reality. Um, so there's also this, phenomenon that's happening with pop culture now where Brad Parscale, Trump's social media writer, right. says he's created the Death Star. And then Trump shares a video of him as Thanos. And then you have the Matrix. And I was listening to some pundits on, on Morning Joe, which is a show I appreciate, talk about this and saying that trying to explain why, why they're using uh, imagery of people who ultimately are defeated. Right. And it really didn't come across. Like I couldn't really understand the points they were trying to make because it's kind of circuitous, but part of me just feels like it goes back to, they just want to own the libs. Like it doesn't matter. Like anything that triggers people that don't agree with them. Right. And it sounds so simplistic and the fact that people who their best interests are being thwarted by what's happening in administration, it doesn't matter. They just get some sort of dopamine rush right. from putting out something that will just, they feel like it just owns the other side. I mean, I know that's simplistic, but I really can't make much more sense out of it at this moment. Yeah, I mean, I think you're just talking about edgelord stuff, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean the, the sort of needless, uh, excessive provocation, right. right. Yeah, so that in that sense, it's like when they're using red pill mm -hmm. or any of these popular, it doesn't have to have consistency. Right. How much of what we're seeing right now, again, take Brogan's rambling mm -hmm. essay right there. Yeah. And I actually thought of you, Julian, because at the mm -hmm. end, of this mm -hmm. just ridiculous mismatch mm -hmm. stuff, uh, she posts the logical fallacy, like with something you've gone to yep. very often, as as if she just created this coherent narrative. And here, here's what you have to watch out for. Right. She says, she says at the beginning of that final section, or where maybe it's to, to, towards the final section, she says. If you go down the rabbit hole of critical thinking, then you start to realize all these things. And in the very next little mini paragraph, she references whether it's extraterrestrial reptiles who are trying to control us or it's 5G. So she starts spinning these incredibly fanciful kind of options, this, this menu of options you can choose from that would be a more plausible alternative narrative based on the fact that you're going down the rabbit hole of critical thinking. So the, the, the doublespeak is really wild. Are you seeing it? Yeah, yeah, I'm on that paragraph now. You know, uh, we're all roughly the same age, and one of my favorite shows growing up was that miniseries B. It was a movie and then a miniseries. Oh, right. And, 
And I, I loved that growing up. But you know what? At some point I realized it was science fiction. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, when I see people saying like, uh, in your essay, Julian, uh, the yeah. London Real, Brian from London Real, like the whole Brian, we talked about this last week, the David Ick thing. Like, if, you're, if your foundational platform is that we're controlled by reptiles, I, how am I going to take much else of what you say seriously? Yeah. Well, that's because you're not very open-minded, you see. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. don't think, I, I just, I, I think that, that um, we, we keep coming around to trying to answer that question from the perspective of plausibility. Uh, rather than the perspective of what particular emotional need is being either provoked or fulfilled. Um, and that's why, you know, honestly, you did the work to read through Brogan's last uh, essay. I really couldn't because um, what, I, what I get from texts like this, this is, this is what I, it's part of what I said about, about Eisenstein's essay too. Uh, they're actually good friends. Um, he went to their wedding, um, which brings up a whole other sort of like question around like what communities are proximal to each other uh, and how does information skip over from one demographic to another. Uh, but anyway, like the, the, the thing that comes across, and maybe this is really a perspective, uh, you know, from a cult survivor who has knows a lot about charismatic personalities. It's, it's the personality stuff that comes across super clearly. So when at the top of the, the webpage, there's the introductory video uh, where there's this sort of intrusive eye gaze into the webcam and, you know, this kind of angelic uh, presentation and uh, absolute certainty to the point of grandiosity with regard to what I'm going to tell you about the nature of reality and the world and the entire medical industry and, you know, pharmaceuticals and COVID-19 and your heart, like there's no scope of practice. There's no, there's no boundary around the expertise. There's a whole sort of like totalizing feeling that comes through the performance of the, of the person themselves. And, and I can't get beyond that. Like, because, because, I know for myself and I know for, you know, the dozens of, of uh, cult survivors that I've spoken to, that was a key sort of attachment feature of, of their recruitment was, oh, this person seemed to have everything. They, they had, they, they radiated a kind of uh, total, total knowledge. And so I don't think it's a matter of what the person says, but how much they say. Uh, or it's, it's not a matter of whether they make sense, but, but whether they have the correct vocal cadence, <laughs> you know? Uh, yep. And so there's something, there's, there's, there's I, I just hear and feel rhythm and um, uh, cadence, as I said, and, um, and, and, and affect, and, and the eyes are a big thing for me. Uh, so, so it's that stuff that I, that I, I, and I also just don't see, I don't see a lot of analysis of it because I think it's very difficult. Uh, you can't, it's very difficult to start getting particular about what you're picking up uh, yeah. from, from the, 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 the charismatic personality. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it inevitably sounds like it's ad hominem uh, until you hear somebody say, 
as yep. I try to say on a regular basis, you know, I'm clued into this stuff because I, I, I recognize it in myself, right? Like I know what it feels like to inflate myself and to want mm -hmm. to sound like I'm an expert in everything. Let me ask you this, Matthew. In 1995, I believe, I, my, my last two years at Rutgers, I was the religion columnist for the Daily Targum, the school newspaper there. And one of the assignments that I got was to go to a Sri Sri Ravi Shankar event. Right. This was in the suburbs of New Jersey. And it was just, you know, a group of like, I don't know, 100 people who were all suburban there. And I was probably the youngest being a college student at the time. And being there and listening to him and doing the breathing exercises, I got it. I felt amazing after that because I didn't really have, I wasn't practicing yoga. I was very much an athlete at that point in my life. And I totally got that. But at the end, they did a lineup where everyone in the room went around and went down and bowed and touched his feet. And right. even then I didn't do that because I was like, this is weird. Like, mm -hmm. why do I appreciate what he said and everything? But, yep. but people were fawning. I mean, just like crying right. in front of him and all this. So I get that charismatic appeal when you're in person but right. you've mentioned this a few times and i wonder if you've done any work when you talk about the people the gaze into the camera right does that have the same affect with people when they when they're watching this oh i don't i mean that's a great question for some you know cognitive scientist out there or mm -hmm. or like like neuropsychologist is to mm -hmm. And I think it's going to become more important as we go further into lockdown and, and, you know, Zoom is going to have to create protective controls around intrusive gazing or something like that. I don't know, but I, like, it's a real thing. Like you can tell when the person's doing it and when they have figured out how to, um, you know, in a theatrical sense, they've figured out how to basically be intimate with the little green dot. Uh, and but yeah, and, and, but in person, and this brings up this whole question of like, you know, what are gonna ha what's gonna happen to these high demand groups when uh, lockdown progresses? Maybe that's another episode, but um, in person, the intrusive eye gaze is like classic. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, and it has like ancient roots as well that are legit. Uh, one of the forms of, one of the forms of, of uh, tantric initiation in a number of Indian wisdom traditions is through uh is through diksha is through is through the the uh no what's it called uh i'm getting the wrong word a anyway it's through the gaze it's through the sort of lightning like stare of the the the, the preceptor into the into the student's mm -hmm. eyes uh the feeling that you're being seen but not only seen but penetrated Mm -hmm. uh, and and that the subjectivity of the master is being poured out and becomes unified with your own so that you grasp the same kind of, you know, intuitive capacity that they have. So, um, yeah, it's a real thing. Um, and, uh, and, and there's framing involved. I mean, take a look. Take a look at, at what she does. She's excellent at it. Uh, she really, really hits the, the, all of the aesthetic markers really well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's all that's, there's that whole sort of pre-verbal, non-verbal mm -hmm. stuff that, mm -hmm. um, uh, I think has to be accounted for as well. And I think we'll start to answer the question of how could we possibly believe that? Well, it wasn't really about belief. It was about there's a particular kind of, yeah. It sounds like w what we're getting at here is a, is a brain state, right? That there's some kind of brain yes. state that gets evoked through a certain set of cues. 
and, and a prolonged experience of those cues. And then at a certain point, there's this amorphous sense that whatever it is you've most deeply needed, that you didn't even know you deeply needed, that pre-verbal place that you're referring to, is somehow then alive in that right. moment. It's being met and is being known and is being tended to. So that, Derek, when you're at that Sri Sri Ravi Shankar event, so many of those people are, they're just broken open into feeling like this man sees me. This man just introduced me to the thing I've been seeking without even knowing I was seeking. Right. Right. And the only thing people like you and I have that experience and I'm I'm similar. I've been to Sorry, Julian, can you Julian, sorry you I'm like your Wi Fi you gotta back up. Your Wi Fi is uh (laughs) your Wi Fi didn't think not yet. <laughs> Have I returned? There you are. Okay, so the last like 30 seconds. Sorry. <laughs> it sounded good, but it's just... <laughs> There's this brain state in which, in which as the receiver of the, those cues, of that intense gaze, of that intense presence, of that intense sense of intimacy, my deepest needs, my deep, the, the things I've always wanted to feel but didn't even know I wanted to feel or that I needed are somehow being seen and known and met so that this person seems like they're the one. They really get it. It's a kind of falling in love. Right. It's a falling in love then with all of the additional baggage of, the, of the, the, the leader of the tribe, the parent, the one who is in touch with the supernatural. I think even of Ernest Becker, you know how Ernest Becker talks about how cult leaders, one of the things cult leaders do is they convey subconsciously the notion that they have transcended fear of death. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, the only thing, so, so what, from the cult literature, what would distinguish you Derek from the people who did fawn and who did bow, bow down and who were wept? Uh, the only research that we really have on that is, is points to something called situational vulnerability. Uh, meaning that you were probably well resourced in the rest of your life socially, intellectually, and financially. You knew where you were going. You might have been more or less uh, settled, and other people in the room may not have been. So I just want to make that point: is that is that um, you know, yeah, we're probably talking about a brain state, but the conditions yeah. for plunging into that brain state uh, are are you know, there are some social markers for that. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. 
Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, I don't know if you, I don't know if you have listened to The Rabbit Hole yet produced by um, uh, New York Times, but uh, it's a fantastic podcast series in which the reporter is able to have access to the entire YouTube view history of a guy who got radicalized to the alt-right and farther uh, over about three years. So he actually did this forensic study of how uh, this guy followed, went from Stefan Molyneux to all the way down to, you know, Gavin McInnes, all the way down to, you know, real white nationalists. Um, but one thing that wasn't covered in the series was the fact that he went through a period where he was actually on YouTube, listening to YouTube videos while he was at work for something like 12 to 15 hours per day. And so, so not, only, not only are we talking about, at this point, are we talking about brain states that can be uh, emotionally contagious within a room, uh, we're also talking about a technology that is designed to feed them to us. Like there's no way that you listen to Stefan Molyneux for 12 hours in a day and learn something new. What's happening, what's gotta be happening mm, is that you're being, mm. you're being comforted by the guy's voice, by his affect. You're, you're in love with his body in some way uh, that is very, probably very difficult to describe, very difficult to talk about or analyze. Uh, and, and that's what I feel is going on uh, with a lot of these influencers that gain such uh, prominence. I mean, I was even thinking about the fact that it seems, I, re I did read enough of Brogan's material over the last couple of weeks to see that she's using the phrase over and over again. Where is it? Um, uh, uh, let me see. It's um, uh, mommy medical system and daddy yep. government, right? Yep. So, she, so she's she, very, she, very contemptuous, um, uh, attitude towards people who believe what public health officials tell them. That's the mommy medical system. So she infantilizes the reader uh, and then the daddy government. And so, first of all, I, I just want to throw in another Canadian comment here. Like that, that is like the, the, the grain of truth in that is that mommy medical system in the United States is completely ne neglectful and abusive and daddy government is totally absent. And so there's a way in which the opportunism of this kind of language slides into a completely uh, dystopian environment and is able to, to sort of grab hold of these basic archetypal disappointments or failures. Um, but the thing is, is that like, you know, it's really rich hearing this language coming from somebody who then on the Instagram platform puts up a basic, basically a uh, glamour video of her wedding to Sayer G. And I'm like, what, you know, this, you know, as opposed to mommy medical system and daddy government, there's also this performance of mommy new age healer and daddy content aggregator or something right. like that. It's like, there's, they offer too also uh, a vision of, uh, a relationship of communication and sort of messianic work in the world and 
I think that's very attractive as well uh, because the, the, the lifestyle stuff is, is not just about clothes and, you know, and locations and, and, and privilege and wealth and stuff like that. It's also about, Oh, are, are they, are they healthy looking and do they have a good relationship or do they seem to have a good relationship? And could I get married in a place like that as well? Yeah. So, it's so yeah, aspirational, right. It's totally, aspirational. totally, totally aspirational. Yeah. So you mentioned how do the, how, how does this deepen as we go further into lockdown? And obviously here we're starting, states are opening up. I think it's pretty obvious that they will close down again. Right. Uh, which will create more problems, if not in the summer, in the fall and winter, uh, right. going off past precedent. And the one through line that I saw specifically between the, one of the Brogan videos and then Plandemic, Mickey specifically says he links 2020 to perfect vision. And this is the year we all wake up. And this is, right. We'll go back to the red pill in a bit. But Brogan also says, you know, that's, I mean, that's the name of, of this is just like why we stay asleep when, when COVID is waking us up. This is, again, this, this is constant throughout religious literature about right. the next stage happening. Yep. My, I have no interest really in what that next stage is because the next stage never comes or else they lose their business. So exactly the question, right. yeah, the question is in a year's time, in two years time, when people realize that the homeopathic New Zealand is not here, does this just keep perpetuating? Do people get yeah. fed up or is there another, is there another messianic figure who comes in to say, Oh, now this is what's happening. I, you know, when I think about, when I think about what I know about um, cultic dynamics in the brick and mortar flesh world, I'm having a hard time understanding what the transition will be like into uh, into online spaces. Like, you know, it's it's funny. I've I've reported on not funny really, but I've reported on maybe four major uh, cultic organizations going through abuse crises uh, over the last three years or something like that, um, and all of them are locked down now. Nobody's going to those retreat centers. Uh, nobody's going to those local yoga shalas. Uh, nobody is going on residential retreats. Nobody's working as a karma yogi. Nobody is, nobody is going for satsang or darshan or, you know, nobody is. Uh, somebody told me that, somebody told me that uh, Muji's big ashram in Portugal is like falling to pieces. Like the garbage is piling up. There's nobody to like clean anything up. It's just going to be some, it's just going to be him sitting on a tin pot. Uh, <laughs> at some point uh, in September uh, asking for Venmo or something like that. And so I really wonder what, I mean, cultic control has always been wrapped up in being able to mandate what people do with their bodies. Mm -hmm. uh, when they do it, how they do it, what they eat, how much they eat, how much they sleep. Um, of course, online activity disturbs our sleep and our and our you know dietary rhythms and stuff like that. But it doesn't do so in an organized way. Yeah. And I think it would take some real amazing, intrusive technological control to be able to create a kind of virtual ashram setting in which people are sleeping three hours a night and then 
I don't, what, what would they even clean? Would they be, would they be, would they be mopping their own apartments with, with, you know, exuberant fascination or something like that? Like, so, so I'm not quite sure uh, what, I mean, my, what this leads me to is the hope that somehow uh, the fascination with the online charismatic personality will have a, a time limit to it. You know, it's like the reason that somebody like Brogan can keep attracting people to Instagram is because she makes public appearances. Maybe this is a theory. Uh, the reason that the reason that that um, yeah the reason the reason that the the charismatic leader is able to draw people to their online platform is because they're able to communicate some sort of in real life experience and and mm -hmm. my prediction would be that it's going to be harder to recruit people mm -hmm. uh, and that gives me some sort of hope that this entire sort of screen life that is becoming more and more pervasive is just going to lose its sheen uh, for more and more people that, you know, they're, I don't know, people will do more gardening or something like that if they have mm -hmm. access to that. I'm not, I'm not sure. I just don't know how uh, the, the, som the somatic control is going to be maintained. You mean post lockdown? Yeah. Yeah. There was the Atlantic, uh, my friend Ben posted this piece, uh, that I'm in the middle of reading from the Atlantic today that talked about predicting that after this is over two years time, whatever, it's actually going to be a very good phase. They, they, they used the precedent of the 1918-19 flu, but then went on to what the roaring 20s represented, which of course led to a depression. But the, the right. fact that people actually came together more and were about more lived experiences. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about the masks for a moment? <laughs> Do you want me to get mine on? Sure. No. <laughs> um, I, I just, I don't want to let this pass. Uh, okay. One of the, as you scroll through, through, I mean, this is, this is all over the place, but, but um, I think Brogan has an Instagram post that says it's just a text post. I know cause I get, I do have Twitter on my phone and I'll get like a notification, but all, all it'll say is, I don't have Instagram. All it'll say is, uh, she'll, she'll post, I posted a picture. And I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta go find Instagram and see what that is. Anyway, she, the, 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 the thing says, uh, I do not consent to wearing a mask. Yeah, I saw my, that. My body, my choice. Okay, I, I don't think we should let it slide that a basic premise of new age messianic wellness is the, uh, the primacy of subjective experience. And so it's like, first of all, the, the, the whole, the meme is based on this misunderstanding that somehow you're wearing it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that, and that it's, it's going to keep you from getting sick. And that's not what all of the reams and reams of literature say. Uh, and if somebody like Brogan has heard or has an inkling of this idea that, well, actually it's about lowering your own possible rate of transmission or the amount of viral load that you're exhaling or you know, however they're phrasing it, if that's getting in, then what the person has to do who holds that position is they have to say to themselves, oh, I might actually be sick and not know it. And that violates like the prime directive 
of messianic wellness, which is I know my body. Mm -hmm. I know, I know when I am sick and when I'm not sick, Mm -hmm. I have done my pranayama. I have purified my cells or whatever. I don't believe in bacteria. Uh, We are bacteria, whatever, whatever the rationalization Mm -hmm. is, the, the, the conviction is that it's impossible for me to not be well and me not know it. And that's so incredibly wrong. (laughs) Like anybody who has been diagnosed with cancer, anybody who has, I I have a deep vein thrombosis. You know, I, my, my approach to that with the, 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 the cramping in my calf uh, and the swelling in the bottom of my foot was to massage it. (laughs) like I knew that something was wrong. Yeah. And I didn't have a clue what to do. I I, never, it would never have occurred to me that, Oh, I just blew up a vein in my leg and I'm in serious trouble. And yeah, I mean, so, 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 but it is intensely, it's intensely insulting to the person who believes absolutely in their intuitive power to understand their inner body, which to be frank is a black box to us. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's just so insulting. And that's what, that's what I think that meme is saying. It's not, it's, it's dressed up in terms of, well, you know, this is symbolic of me being blocked from my free speech or, you know, I'm not, I'm not scared of coronavirus, so I don't need to protect mm-hmm. myself against it. But really, the message is no you're sick you might be sick and and so and so don't breathe on people and and when and when somebody has spent their life i think or at least a good part of their adulthood believing that they exhale rainbows that's really going to be a, a <laughs> totally totally insulting to them when i well, with that, go ahead oh I, yeah and i wanted to jump to you julian but when i when my oncologist looked at my markers, when I was diagnosed, I had testicular cancer. Uh, right. She had said I probably had had it for growing for two years. And, right. And I had been vegetarian for 20. I had been doing yoga for so like, and, and when you're faced with those moments, you're just like, yeah, there's a lot about biology we don't know. But Julian, I wanted to, I want you to say what you want to say, but I also wanted to ask you this too, because you probably noticed this, this trend of people saying, I take care of my immune system, so I'm not going to wear a mask. Like, what, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, so there, there's, there, there's so many ways in which these, these, these nuances are, are just completely erased. And, and with what you were saying a moment ago, Matthew, I feel like it's, it's both the sense that I reject the idea that I could be sick and not know it because I'm so in tune, right? But also, I reject the idea that as a sovereign spiritual being, I should be burdened by having to take responsibility for anyone else. Right. They no should one else's work. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we each create our own reality. We're each responsible for our own lives and our own feelings and our own experience. And whatever is happening to us is happening through some sort of divine perfection that helps us to learn lessons that will help us to continue to wake up, right, and, and, and continue to be enlightened around both a, both a sort of biological, scientific understanding of reality, but also a, a, a community, 
you know, human family kind of sense of like, we're actually doing this for one another. And that's a beautiful thing. That's how you could actually frame that as a profoundly spiritual thing to right. say, I'm, I, I care enough about my fellow human, that I'm going to wear a mask. Right. Yeah. And, and I think so, that I, yeah. there's another, there's another connection that I think is really super important, which is the way in which the disbelief that one could be ill and one could be a danger to other people would intersect with forms of unrecognized privilege mm -hmm. because, because the outrage is kind of the same. It's like, it's like, Oh, what, what do you, what do you mean that being, that being white and middle-class or, or being male or, 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 you know, being, having conventionally good looks or something like that is, is, uh, can contribute to some sort of harm or some kind of systemic, oppression what do you mean mm -hmm. uh it's like it's this other sort of unseen thing that feels so natural to you it's your own yep, breath yep. oh it's the color of my own skin uh you wouldn't you know how could it possibly be something that i was guilty about which is mm -hmm. the misprision it's not that you're guilty for mm -hmm. perhaps being asymptomatically infectious it's that you're responsible for it. Um, it's, it's, it's not that you're, it's, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a, a snowflake about being asymptomatically infectious. It's not about you. Yeah. It's not a moral failing. Which is what really blows me away is that yeah. this is proliferated in the exactly. yoga here. Oh, we're gonna get your Wi-Fi fixed for next yeah. time. <laughs> but th th I was that this is this ideology has proliferated in the yoga community. This sense that uh, this constant for years idea of compassion, altruism, empathy—these higher order emotions—but then when you're actually called upon to use them or put them into practice. It becomes about your personal freedom. I, you know, yoga was created in, in such a, one of the most collectivist cultures that we know of historically. And this idea that, you know, it's, it's an impingement upon freedom is ridiculous. Uh, I see you moving in real time now, Julian. So if you okay, could that, cause I cut out. Yeah. Good. Yeah, no, I, I, I heard you. Um, yeah. You know, it goes back to, to your question right at the beginning, Derek. And, and I, I feel like this is, this is throughout all of these topics that, that I know we're, we're all sort of passionate about and, and deeply immersed in, in our lives, is this, this failure of being able to recognize nuanced uh, valuing of different things, right? So for example, yes, Americans are over-medicalized and don't get enough exercise and should eat more healthy food. That doesn't mean everything that the medical establishment tells us is dangerous and is a lie. Like you can, you can value both sides of that equation. Yes, it's really good to keep your immune system, keep your immune system uh, as healthy as you possibly can and do things that help you to de-stress. That doesn't magically mean that you don't need a vaccine. The, 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 two, the two exist side by side. Yes, you can, you can value a deep psychological and spiritual contemplative inquiry of the inner life, but that doesn't mean that the laws of physics and the reality of our body politic or, or that you're somehow become immune from those things through whatever you discover in your psycho-spiritual process. So how to, how to keep talking about these things in ways that doesn't, doesn't buy into the false dichotomies to me right. 
seems really important. It, I, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's difficult for dichotomies not to escalate in such a period, however, because one of the things that has characterized uh, you know, the wellness industry and its extreme version of messianic wellness. I just made that up. Maybe, I don't know if that's, if that's, term. That, but like, but, but it's, it's, why wouldn't, uh, why wouldn't the Brogan crew escalate in a time of increasing public health crisis and governmental neglect? Like it's, it's almost as if, uh, the 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 worse an administration does with a public health issue, uh, mm. the more people will turn to this kind of grandiose notion of self reliance in order to get by. Like it makes sense. It makes sense that there's a there's kind of a feedback loop going. Oh well, we're not going to be taken care of, uh, and so you know we have to connect to source. Uh, we're not going to be told the truth from the White House, so we're going to have to do our own research. I mean, yeah. the, there's the terrible, asp the terrible sort of um, uh, irony of all of this is that is that you know people who really do want to uh, connect with their own internal, um, I don't know, I immunity or their their invulnerability or their strength or their courage. They have really good reason to want to do it because they're not being taken care of. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.